All right. So, as I mentioned earlier, bam. As I mentioned earlier, we are beginning our new series about the way of life, like what it means to follow Jesus. And it takes me back. You know, many of you are familiar with New Hope from Star Wars. This has nothing to do with that, but <laughs> I like the title. Um, it has nothing to do with Star Wars. We're not going to, this is the most Star Wars we're going to get in this particular lesson. Um, but it takes me back to a couple of years ago in finals week in South Florida. Um, a young guy who, who became a really good friend of mine was getting ready for his finals. He was taking 15 credits. 15 credits, for those of you who have not been in college, is a lot of classes. <laughs> And he was studying and doing his thing, but he was also really involved with God's people. He was serving people. He was helping people. He was really engaged. And so as the beginning of November rolled around, I said, hey, bro, like you're doing a lot. You got 15 credits. Maybe it might be in your best interest. If you kind of take a step back on everything and knock out your finals, like you're only going to be in this semester once, knock them out, get, get good grades and honor Jesus. And he's like. Dude, it's going to be okay. I got it figured out. Like, you know, all these classes are so easy. Look at the syllabus. Easy. And, you know, I didn't study what he studied. So I, 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 if you think it's easy, then it's easy. <laughs> and so the week before finals, Avengers 2 came out. So you know how it is you, in the ministry. You get the text message. Hey, Avengers 2 is coming out op- opening night. Who wants to go see it? Everyone says yes. He, and that was the days when I didn't even have my son, Steven. So, you know, I play outside all night. Yes. And so I got that text message. We went and I saw the brother walk through. And I'm like, don't you have that big exam first thing, 8 a.m.? Oh, it's going to be easy. I'm going to kill it. And then I saw the other guys and I'm like, what you guys been up to? And they shared how they just had a whole day the last two days. And I said, hey, I'm a little concerned that you might not be ready for this exam. Maybe you should just... Bell out. The movie will be here next week. You can watch it. We won't spoil it for you. But he's like, no, I'm going to stay. So we end up watching that. And you know what also came out? Mad Max. And we were living crazy. So the movie ended at 1 a.m. They're like, guys, let's go see Mad Max. (laughs) So I was like, let me text Julian. Julian was dead asleep by then. So I text Julian. She doesn't reply. So I'm like, it's a yes. Uh, (laughs) And so... I go see Mad Max with them, and then I get home 3.30, 3, 3, 4, and I'm just exhausted. I, I never want to play out that side that late ever again. <laughs> even, if, even if my kids are grown, I want to go to bed around 10. I think that's, that's reasonable. So anyhow, um, finals week happened. They come and go, and then I ask him, how, how did you do in your finals? And he's like, I bombed each one. And we were talking in service, and there was a more mature brother there, and he was telling both of us how he bombed each one. And this brother said, and I quote, God does not bless foolishness. And me and the other brother stood next to each other, is that even in the Bible? And he's like, no. <laughs> but you know, old, old, old mature wisdom, sometimes they say certain things that should be in the Bible, could be in the Bible, but that actual phrase was not in the Bible. You see, in his endeavor to serve people, he wasn't partnering with God. He wasn't trying to embrace how God wanted him to do it. You know, there's certain times and rhythms of certain things. And see, for him, doing all these good things while also not preparing for what he was supposed to, he thought it was going to work itself out. How many of us have been there? 
You see, that's not the hope we're talking about today. Hope, hope in this season is built upon faith. You know, faith is the complete trust and confidence or loyalty in something. And hope is built upon that. Hope is the earnest anticipation that comes from believing something good will come. And then hope is a confident expectation that naturally stems from faith. Hope is a peaceful assurance that something that has happened, that hasn't happened yet, will indeed happen. I want to give you guys some context because this is really important as we study the Gospel of Luke. So I'm going to give you some historical context. You see, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 587 B.C., the temple was the, the, the local, the focal point of where the people of God worship. It was really big, really important. We like to think of the, um, the Jews as people who just really love the scriptures, which they did. But the temple was their primary point and reference of worship. And then in 539 B.C., they rebuilt the temple. Men like Ezra, Nehemiah, Zechariah, Haggai kind of led that, um, that rebuild. But what shortly happened afterwards is after the Persian Empire fell apart, the Greek Empire came in and they started um, taking over most of the land. And part of what the Greek Empire brought was Hellenization. And so the Jewish people started losing slowly but surely started losing their distinctiveness. You were not able really to recognize a Jewish person anymore because they had been so, so encultured in the culture. And so a group, a family called the Maccabees rises up in 67 BC and they are like, enough is enough. And we're going to bring back um, God's ways. And so from 167 um, BC to 63 BC, Israel was an independent nation again. They recaptured all of their land and they had everything. And yet, if you check the writings during this period, which is often called the Second Temple period, nobody felt like it was supposed to be how it was supposed to be. Like, even as you saw this independent nation, you're like, I don't think this is what the Psalms were talking about. I don't think this is what Moses was talking about. Something seems particularly off with what we're seeing here. It still doesn't feel right. And in 63 BC, Rome took over Israel and they lost their independence. And that was the end of that reign. You see, they came under foreign domination again. And so for a lot of people who already felt massively uncomfortable with the um, Hasmonean dynasty, they felt like, yeah, this vindicated, but we don't want to be under Roman rule and oppression either. And the Herods became kings and they were wealthy, but they also did not follow the way of God. Rome taxed the people heavy. There was civil unrest from 63, um, from 63 BC to about 125 AD. Like it just was a volatile season and a volatile moment. A lot of people coined the phrase from 539 to the time of Jesus as 400 years of silence, but it really wasn't silent. There's a lot of writing about how discouraged people were with what was happening. So many people started losing their hope and faith in God. And it was a challenging season. And so like anything else, what happens when people are losing hope? People gather together and they try to materialize hope. They try to look for it. And this is kind of the birthplace of groups like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the zealots, the Essenes, they come, they're coming together and they're like, God has not forgotten us. God is still working. What can we do? And so I want to talk a little briefly about all of these groups. And we're going to talk more as the series progresses. But it's really important as we contemplate on the scripture we're going to read today as a community. Let's 
You see, the Pharisees believed if possible, the people of God, their name Pharisee means set apart. If the people of God could really set themselves apart, God would send his Messiah and new creation would start. Now, they didn't think of new creation the way Jesus thought of it. They thought of something else, but they thought, man, if we could just set ourselves apart. And so they really did want influence in Rome, primarily to make sure people could be set apart. And so they fought for a lot of the traditions of the elders because they knew these traditions could get the people to be what Moses called them to be and ultimately bring about God. The Sadducees, on the other hand, were a small group. And a lot of this information I get from Josephus. He was a historian during that period. Um, the Sadducees were a smaller group, but they were extremely wealthy. And they were from where a lot of the high priest class came from. And they have a bad reputation. Josephus basically alludes to these guys as uh, mafia. Like they were corrupt. And they figured if we could control the temple, we could control the narrative. And they controlled the temple. And a lot of people yielded to what they were doing. But probably the most important people during this season, the ones who taught most of Israel or most of Judea, their scriptures were the priests. And the priests taught the people how to pray. Priests taught the people how to read the scriptures. The priest's role was largely important. And the high priest of the time functioned as a, as a political figure, a quasi-political figure, because he held no position in um, the Roman Empire. And so, as I mentioned before, from 63 BC to 125 AD, I can name countless revolutions that took place. If, if you wanted to just nerd out with me on the history of this, you could come by Wednesday and we could talk about it. It's just a lot of revolutions took place because people were really trying to bring the kingdom of God. This is where the zealots groups come from. But the people were hoping, 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 God, you need to act. God, you need to do something. There's so many prayers written during this period, longing and anticipating God. You see, Jesus's contemporaries believed that one day God will claim his rightful sovereignty over the whole world and he would rescue his people from their enemies and he would establish them in their land and bring them back to the land that he promised if they were scattered abroad and his ministry and his community would be filled with justice and peace. And this would naturally mean eliminating the wickedness of the world. A vision that inspired hope for a lot of people like the Israelite people did not lose hope. At least a lot of them didn't during this period. And so where do we pick up in this story? We pick up in this story in Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one. So the angel Gabriel came and already announced that Jesus was going to give, I mean, that Mary was going to give birth to Jesus. The angel told um, Zacharias and um, his wife Elizabeth that they were going to give birth to John. And this is after Mary had had time to kind of soak it all in and let it kind of marinate in her heart. We pick up in Luke chapter one, verse 46 through 56. And Mary said, my soul glorifies, glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel by remembering to be merciful. To Abraham and his descendants forever, he has promised, he, 
just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. You see, Mary's song, just, just think about the, the role that music plays for a lot of us. There's songs we haven't heard in decades. If someone starts the first part of the song, we can remember the rest. Because music has a way of impacting us that regular words don't. Poetry has a way of impacting us in a way that regular words do not. See, Mary's song is just soaked in scripture. If you, one of the things Luke takes for granted is that you read the Bible consistently. Luke thinks you know the Bible really well, and so a lot of what you're reading in the Gospel of Luke, that you can find a scripture in the Old Testament they are alluding to or pointing to, even if he does not directly quote it. And so Mary's song is soaked in scripture. She's meditating and reflecting on the scriptures of Israel and reflecting on the promises of God as she contemplates this coming child, this son that she was going to give birth to. You see, the songs of Israel were around for centuries and it told their story and how God worked. Every worship gathering in synagogues all over that time and in the temple, they got together and they sung the songs of Israel, what we call the Psalms, and they anticipated and longed for a God to do what he said he was going to do in those days. You see, out of these oracles and songs, there emerged a closely related theme if you're paying attention. And these closely related themes is that Jesus is going to turn things upside down. This is not a popular gospel message for any generation, any period. What Jesus talked about, I mean, what Mary was singing about. This passage emerges from the messianic and kingdom expectations of Israel's story. Each of these, um, these passages, I mean, each verse in this passage concentrates on God's promises for his people. In particular, it announces a community, like I said, marked by justice, holiness, peace, and love. But this community is clearly the community that sits at Jesus' feet. You see, Luke, one of the cool things about Luke, Matthew tells you, and this is where you can find this particular passage. That's what Matthew does. He doesn't want you to look. He's like, I'm going to do the hard work for you. Luke put the scriptures in the characters' mouths. I think a part of the reason he does that is because Israel's scriptures were on their heart consistently. It, 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 was, it was Deuteronomy 6, like, on my heart when I walk about it, when I move around, when I talk about it. Israel's scriptures were in there. And so two psalms, I mean, two scriptures in particular that are being echoed here the loudest. Psalm 113 and 1 Samuel 2.8, the song of Hannah and what, what, what um, will later be called the Hillel Psalms about the Passover. And so if you are used to hearing those psalms, what you, the reoccurring theme is the deliverance of the people of God. They may well have understood Mary's song to lean toward like, oh, God is going to deliver us. Like when Mary's singing this song, she's like, God's going to deliver us. God is going to do this again. God is actually working in this unique pregnancy, her being pregnant by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> you see, what is Mary celebrating here? She's celebrating the actions of God. A lot of the would-be messiahs of that generation celebrated their actions. It's no different from present day. Like, how, how many of us have heard of the founder's myth where I'm going to be the guy that's going to change every single thing? 
I'm going to be the person. We're going to be the particular movement that changes everything. That is not what Mary sees here. She's like, this, whatever is about to happen with this baby in my womb is completely and utterly from God. And it is God's movement that is being born here. And we all prayerfully get to participate in that movement. But none of us are the main actors. None of us are the main characters. You see, if Israel and the world would experience the Messiah, Mary was convinced it would be by God's hands, as in the days of old. There are certain challenges that no person can solve. You know, I don't know how many of you stay up late at night thinking about how you can fix the world's problems. I feel like that I gave up on that endeavor when I turned 29. <laughs> like, let me focus on what's in front of me. <laughs> But if you sat, if you have a free evening and you're like, you know what, I think I could fix all the world's problems. At some point, you're going to you're going to hit several roadblocks and be like, I don't know how to fix this. If you can fix all the world's problems then you can unscramble an egg. Let me just say that can't happen. Some of you like, no, trust me, it can happen. And maybe it will. You know, technology is impressive. But if you but it is challenging. You see, our call as followers of Jesus is not to adopt the methods of this present age to bring about his kingdom. We take on the methods of Jesus to bring about his kingdom. And it's so hard to distinguish sometimes because they, you know, it's almost like good, better and best. That's what you think the options are. But it's Jesus or, or not. It's really just that. But sometimes, you know, it's hard for all of us to constantly remember. And this is why we need community. This is why we need scriptures. This is why we need prayer. This is certainly why God gave us his Holy Spirit to guide us. Here's a quote from Shane Claiborne. What gave the early church integrity was the fact that they could denounce the empire and in the same breath say, we have another way of living. If you are tired of what the empire has to offer, we invite you into the way. Even the pagan emperor could, could not ignore the little, revolutionary, little revolution of love. <coughs> emperor Julian confessed the godless Galileans feed our people in addition to their own. The last are first, the first are last, the poor are blessed, the mighty are cast from their thrones. And yet people were attracted to it. Christianity, for those who are powerful, have influence. If you read the teachings of Jesus and take it really serious, this is this is a religion. You almost feel like, man, if I really take this serious, then I'm going to give up a lot of this power and influence. That is against any culture's way of life. You you accumulate power and influence. Mary said the rich are going to go away empty. Can you imagine who's the richest guy? Is it Jeff Bezos or is it? Elon. Elon, Elon's the richest? Okay. Can you imagine if Elon walked in and we're like, the rich are going to walk um, go away empty? Elon's sitting here as we read Mary's song. What do you think his reaction will be? He'll tweet about it. He'll be like, what is up with this guy? And what is up with Jesus? Like, it is, it is a big deal. And yet, Christianity has radically transformed the world. And countless number of people have given up things in the name of Jesus. Mary being pregnant and told by the angel what will become of her child in her womb, she says yes. She says yes. Do you know Mary could have rejected that offer? 
The angel could, Gabriel could have been like, hey, you're going to be with child. It's going to be Jesus. And she said, no, that's not how that's not what I plan and envision for my life. But she accepted that. And she wrote this song out of hope. Like, man, she's sitting there after being pregnant. And she just starts taking her pen or whatever they used to write on the little scroll. And she just wrote this lyric. And you know why we know this song? Because the early church still sung it. It was something they sung consistently. That Luke was like, this needs to be in here because this will be consistently sung throughout all generations. Mary believed in the God of her ancestors. The early church believed in Jesus and it showed in their behavior. Perhaps the most transformative thing we can do in this season is yield ourselves to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives through intentional community and other practices to be with Jesus, become like Jesus and do what he did. What has been the challenge? What has been the challenge for us to be like Jesus, do what he did? I think there's been an overemphasis. I believe in the life to come. I believe that one day Jesus will come back and all people will experience a resurrection. I believe in that wholeheartedly. I think we need to preach that sins can be forgiven if we put faith in Jesus. But I think an overemphasis on those things have removed us from participating in the life right now. Yeah. I am on the older end of the millennial scale. I'm like five years away from being a Gen Xer. I feel like I have the Gen X cynicism. Um, But I'm a millennial. I have an iPhone. I was hanging out with some teens. And they asked me, what am I doing with my iPhone? And I said, I call, I text, I look at email. They're like, but what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? What about this? I'm like, I don't do that on my phone. They're like, then why did you get an iPhone? I'm like, because I want to call and I want to text and I want to send emails. They're like, but there's so many different phones you can have. Why do you want an iPhone? Because I want to call, I want to text, and I want to send emails. But they're like, look at this video. They showed me the videos. They're like, look at this graphic design. He made a brand new flyer right then and there. And then he's like, look at this. They did a real cool TikTok video right there. You know, for a long time, I thought those TikTok videos were done with excellent cameras. They're just done with phones. And they did all of this amazing stuff. They're like, that's what you have on offer. I said, you just overwhelmed me one. I want to call, I want to text, and I want to look at my emails. I'm like, if I could cleanse my phone of all but five apps, I would. You know, for a lot of us, the way I use my cell phone is how we understand our Christianity. It's like, man, it's where I go when I die, and it's about forgiveness of sins, and it doesn't impact anything else. But Jesus has an entire life on offer. He's like, oh, I have life to the full, and I want you guys to participate in it. But it requires us to understand what is on offer. You see, the message of Jesus himself and of the early disciples wasn't one of just forgiveness of sins, but rather it was one of newness of life, which of course includes forgiveness of sins. And yet the newness of life also involved much more besides that. To be saved was to be delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of Jesus, like it says in um, Colossians 1.13. And we who are saved are to have a different order of life from, from that of the unsaved. Like, the thing that 
Shane Claiborne is pointing out to that has been the thing for most generations up until fairly recently was to be a follower of Jesus was completely distinct, not in your political persuasion, not in your bumper sticker, but actually how you lived. It made a world of difference in how you lived. And so how do we live like that? How, how, how do we become the people that God has called us to be? You see, the cool thing about Jesus, in his life, there was no hypocrisy at all. The incarnation means that the essence of God in John chapter one, the logos of God that became flesh, became flesh in the person of Jesus. He did what we couldn't. He lived a life of shalom, justice, mercy, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, goodness, self-control and love. Because of Jesus' life, if we place our faith in him, we'll be saved to live in his kingdom. One characterized as life consistently. Salvation is life now and in the life to come. Let's go to Luke chapter 25. We're going to read this passage later in our series as well. But let's go to this passage right now. I want you to pay attention to what Jesus says here to this, um, to this person. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 28. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 28. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? See, a lot of us, we hear that phrase like, what do I got to do to go to heaven one day? Jesus, Jesus answers. What is written in the law? He replied, do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Jesus doesn't say, you've answered correctly, now wait till you die. And then you experience eternal life. He is saying, present tense, if you live like this, you are inheriting the eternal life that you just asked me for. That that is available today, that we can live the eternal life. The life that we're supposed to live one day, we can live it today. The life that we're going to experience a new creation connected to Jesus, connected to all the other saints who have gone before us, is on display and on offer today. You see, Jesus' grace is amazing and he's rich in mercy. I'm afraid many of us have settled to wait for the next life to experience the life he has on offer today. And our offer, that offer is for us to be apprentice of Jesus right now. To really live in it right now. You see, our problem is our hypocrisy. The vast majority of people who have a complex rule of life do not measure up to it, believer and non-believer alike. What I mean, if I, if I am like 100% nihilistic, like I don't care about anything, then yes, I'm not a hypocrite. Until I actually do care about something. Like, mommy, like you scratch my car, you'd be like, ah, you see, you're a hypocrite. You do care about something. But the vast majority of people, it doesn't matter, believer or non-believer, we all fall short of what we say we believe. Yeah, yeah. All of us. Now, our, our, our calling as followers of Jesus, how do we minimize that? Like, how do we minimize that? You know, for a long time in America, Christianity here at least, and it's probably true of a lot of Western countries, not necessarily true of some other parts, but here is if we gave people the right information, so if I gave you the sound doctrine, we gave people a worship experience, and we told them to read their Bible. They become like Jesus. That's it. This isn't difficult. 
That's only marginally true. And for those of you who follow that formula, you probably experience it in your own life. You're like, that's marginally true. You see, we're in an oversaturated diet of information. There are books, podcasts, blogs, blase, blase. There's a lot of good stuff out there. And I'm not hating on it. I think you should take advantage of it because the vast majority of it's free now. However, it does create a hypocrisy gap. And this isn't a call to say, well, if more information creates hypocrisy gap, let me choose ignorance. That's not, that's not the call. We're, we're calling people to live life and life to the full. You see, the world Mary was singing about would come on the last day, but it was also was going to come now. The world where things were upside down was going to come now. So, along with the healthy information take of what we believe and what we learn, we need to exercise what we, what we receive. Yeah. Now, if you're in here saying to yourself, I don't experience the hypocrisy gap. Like, I got it all figured out. If you have people who are truth tellers in your life, they'll let you know there's a gap in what you say you believe and what's actually happening. I've, I've worked with teens for a couple of years. They're, they're the biggest truth tellers. Between what you say you believe, like, so I can say, man, I'm this, I'm that, I'm generous kind. When Stephen and Brian grow up, they'll tell you what kind of disciple I am. Yeah. Prayerfully, they'll be like, my dad, my dad, he got his blind spots, a couple, but he really tries to live this. But it, hopefully they're like, nah, that, that's just all smoke and mirrors. It's a magic trick for you guys. When he gets home, the, 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 the blood of Christ does not exist in his life. Prayerfully doesn't say that. I think part of the challenge is we've actually lowered the bar that we actually expect us. You know, we've seen around around Christian circles. It's not necessarily true up here in Portland, but in Christian circles, I'm only forgiven, not perfect. And that, 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 that's, there's a lot of truth there, but that has lowered the bar. Yeah. Instead of saying, I can be like Jesus. Will I ever be perfectly like Jesus? Sometimes I think we need to focus more on the, I can be like Jesus. <laughs> We all know we won't perfectly do it, but I think sometimes once we know it won't perfectly happen, we drop the cross. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm just waiting until the good Lord come and take me home. And you can wait on that. I think God is super gracious and kind. He'll work with you. But, man, you're missing out on life to the full. You're missing out on what Jesus has on offer. You're missing it. And I want to encourage you not to miss it. See, part of the unique challenge right now is... We need to learn how to walk in the ways of Jesus without crushing each other. Mm. <laughs> but that does require truth. That does require us being completely genuine and honest with one another, but in a loving and encouraging way. See, what, what has happened is, you know, if you ever, you've all heard of the term crossfire. What ends up happening is after a message like this, you're like, oh, we're going to purge all hypocrisy. And you start lighting people up. But you know what happens? They start lighting you up. Amen. And the next thing you know, everyone's lit up. And it ain't Christmas. Like, we're all, we're, we're all dead everywhere, you know? We, we, we have to gently say, hey, you're gossiping right now. Hey, you're slandering right now. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about generosity. You have a coat for 30 days. A coat for every day of the month. And then you're like, I think I'm going to get a 31. So just on the months where there's 31. And you're like, that's kind of, that's a lot. 
I think two coats, three coats could work. Well, you don't understand what it's like. Live countercultural. Let your life speak so loudly that people understand that you don't value what other people value. But the problem is, I'm going to stand out. I'm going to be weird. Someone might dislike me. But you're going to have life and life to the full. The Jesus we read about in the scriptures that we all long to be like, he's like, I want to show you how to do it, but you got to do it my way. In fact, the more we learn scriptures and more we learn about what God is calling us to do without applying it, it increases the hypocrisy gap in our lives. So we can mouth great scriptures, but if we don't live it, it's not good. An understatement of the millennium. (laughs) So this is our hypocrisy gap. The goal of our Christian discipleship, our apprenticeship to Jesus is becoming, growing, and maturing to act and behave like Jesus. Like prayerfully, the longer you are in Christ, the more you are like Jesus. The more it makes more sense to be like Jesus. It begins with changing our thinking, but it doesn't end there. We want to close the gap. And again, so spiritual disciplines, we're going to talk about that later in this calendar year after this series, about what it means to just be deeply formed. But I really want to encourage all of us. This is on invitation that Jesus has for anyone. Followers and non-followers alike. This is on invitation for everyone. And these spiritual disciplines, when I say spiritual, sometimes we think it's like, well, is that more quiet times? No, it's embodied practices. It's about the shared life, shared practices that inform this new way of living in this life. You see, the vitality and the power of Christianity is lost when we fail to integrate our bodies into the practices by intelligent, conscious choices and steadfast intent. It is our bodies, it is through our bodies we receive this new life. How much more do our bodies need to participate in this new life? Mm-hmm. Paul says in Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good and pleasing will. Again, I want to encourage you guys. Let's read the Gospel of Luke. This, is, this, this gospel, I think, I love all the Bible. All of it. So it's be like, Steve, what's your favorite book? Pick one. All of it. But 2015, I started reading Luke, and I feel like that sent me on a journey that I'm grateful for. I said one, one, one season, oh, let me just read through Luke slowly, and it cut me to the heart. And I want to encourage all of us, let's read the gospel of Luke. Let's assume nothing. And let's take notes. You know, a lot of times we can read the scriptures and you be like, I'm already on board. Let me give you one, one, one user's tip. And most of the stories about Jesus, you're not Jesus. <laughs> Say like, I'm the one challenging. The ring. You're not Jesus. You might be some, you're, you're someone, you might be someone in the crowd. You might be some, but you're not Jesus. Once you get that, inf- that part clear, then you start to receive God's word in a powerful way. Fellowship with Jesus. It's an invitation to partnership with God. That's Mary's song was an invitation for Israel to partner with God. Jesus gives us, extends that invitation to all other people. In the Greek, when Jesus says, follow me, it's more intense than it sounds in the English. Essentially, when a rabbi chose someone, first, the person scouted out the rabbi. 
They're like, do I want to be like Hillel? Do I want to be like Gamaliel? Do I want to be like this person? And they scouted him out for probably two, three years. They're like, yes, the way you live your life, I want to be like that. And then the rabbi made a decision. Do I think you can even be like me? Do I want you around me, right? What's unique about Jesus is he's like, no, that's open to anyone. Right? And so to follow was an intentional practice of putting on the yoke of a rabbi. Now, when I say yoke, for a long time, I thought egg yoke, because I ain't grow up reading the scriptures, man. I'm from Miami. We read the scriptures in Miami, but I ain't grow up with yoke. Like, who says yoke outside the Bible? Like, hey, man, that's a heavy yoke on you. You're like, what? Uh, but now I know what yoke means. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Um, the yoke is something that you put on an animal and you work. Jesus is saying, this is work. Don't, don't miss that part. This is work. He's going to put it on you and you're going to work with him. But his yoke is easy. His burden is light. But you are working with him. And it's really important that after working with him that you become like your rabbi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. You become like your rabbi. Here's, here's the reality. A lot of you are like your rabbi right now. The challenge is, is that rabbi Jesus. But a lot of you right now, whatever is forming you and shaping you, you are just like that. So when you look at the teachings of Jesus, if you push back and say no, then it's very clear in that moment Jesus isn't your rabbi. Something else is your rabbi or someone else is your rabbi. But you become like your rabbi. And Jesus' invitation is be, be like me. I love the language of apprentice primarily because, you know, you hear disciple and you, you don't know what to make of it sometimes. I remember the first time I heard that term. I just thought WWF. It's WWE now, but it's just wrestling. I thought wrestling, there was a group called the Disciples, and they were wrestlers. (laughs) I hear apprentice. It didn't matter what context I heard it. First question that usually comes out of my mouth, what are you learning? How are they teaching you it? When I hear apprentice. And that's disciple and apprentice are synonyms, but it just, I think sometimes just something feels a little bit easier to digest what you're trying to accomplish. The hope that Jesus brought and is bringing will happen regardless of what we do. So this, this, this vision we saw in Isaiah 5 about the world being, I mean, Isaiah 2 being drastically transformed, that's going to happen with or without our participation. But the invitation is you can participate in that and you can experience life and life to the full and you can experience the joy that comes from that participation. I want us to take a moment of reflection and then we'll pray for communion.